Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a brand new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Rosemary Rodriguez's new feature film, Silver Skies. The film follows a group of eccentric retirees who find their lives turned upside down when they learn that their beloved apartment complex is being converted to condominiums and that they have 30 days to either buy or move out. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Rodriguez spoke with director Arthur Seidelman about making Silver Skies. Listen on for highlights from their conversation, including her approach to wearing three hats for this film, writing, producing, and directing, and the experience of returning to her indie roots after working in episodic TV for so much of her career. Enjoy. Thank you all for joining us and for loving that delightful film. Not only is Rosemary the director of the film you just saw, but actually she is three people all fitting into one chair. She is the director, the writer, and the producer. <laughs> so we have everybody here and it only took one chair. <laughs> Rosemary, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Where did it start? Where where did the idea get born? I think the idea got born in my in my uh some conversation that I had with my sister, Pat. Um my sisters were sixteen and eighteen years older than myself. And then my mother adopted me when she was forty two years old. And although that's common now, back then it wasn't so common. So I grew up with, you know, my parents were like everyone else's grandparents' age. Mm -hmm. So they, I watched them at a young age get older, and I watched what they went through getting older. Um, and my mother, my mother was a rather difficult person, so she always was a con topic of conversation in the family, always. Probably Barbara Bain's character represents her the oh. most, so you can imagine she's a fighter, like Irish, like tough, and um, and so I think you know, watching them get older, I watched them become their relationship with each other changed. I watched them become a little more invisible to the world. I watched their friendships change. I watched their relationships with with myself, with my sisters change. Like everything was, was different as they got older. And yet they were still my parents and I still love them the same. And you know, when, when what's gonna happen with all these people just like with me, you're pretty young and you have both your parents in the hospital and then you watch your parents die. You know, and you're a young age and my father passed away from Alzheimer's. Well, was there, we all, we think of movies we want to make, we read scripts, or we write scripts we want to make. Was there one moment when you knew, I have to make this movie? Yeah, it was It was really a budgetary thing, because I have, you know, at any given time, I've got like four or five scripts ready to go. But this was something that um, I knew was location dependent, and if I could find the right location, 
then I could get the movie made in a certain amount of time. So that's really why it became that one to make next. It wasn't until yesterday when I was talking to someone on the phone <laughs> that it occurred to me that, you know, my parents have passed away and, and that's all complicated, but that the the movie, I mean, every character in the movie, my dad was a bookie. He worked at the racetrack. So Jack McGee's character, he used to sell programs like that. Uh-huh. And, you know, my, Valerie, like, is good with flowers. My mother was good with flowers. I already told you Barbara. And my father was this, you know, kind of tall, handsome Italian man. So that was, you know, I always reminded me of Dean Martin. <laughs> and that was George. So really what I've come to realize just yesterday in this conversation with a friend, that this is really my way of saying goodbye to my parents. Wow. So it's very well, it's profound. A, it's Putting a, it out in the it's world. It's a beautiful like, goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Tell me about the casting. You have you have a, such a rich ensemble. Mm. I mean, they are so seasoned, so beautiful. Every performance is lovely, is is l- layered, is subtle. How did the, did you get one key person and then the rest fell into place? How did it happen? Well, the movie the movie is dedicated to Dennis Farina. Yeah. And the reason is because he was our key person. Um, I directed an episode of Law & Order many years earlier, and he and I became buddies. Mm -hmm. And so we were going to make this movie together. And he was going to play George's part. And so I picked a start date with him when I was finally ready to go. And we had the financing and everything was ready. And I picked a start date, and he passed away two weeks later. Oh, God. It was devastating because as soon as I got him, I got the big casting director. And it's like, oh, you have Dennis. You can definitely get, you know, you can get it. We can get a lot of great people. Like, awesome. So anyway, the casting director suddenly had a big project that took precedent over helping me as soon as Dennis passed. So that kind of fell apart. And so all I could do was call my husband, my my business partner and husband. And just I was devastated. I'm like, what am I going to do? Who's in the film? Who plays the asshole in the film? <laughs> he he's in the bathroom scene. He fires Jack right, McGee's right, character. Right. Um, so Nestor Rodriguez, he's here somewhere. So I called Nestor, and you know, good guy that he is, he was like, "You just got to keep going." Yeah. So we had a read through. I came back to L.A. and we had a read through. And Fred Roos, do you know Fred Roos? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you knew him, pro- but yeah. he, Fred Roos is like, he's an amazing guy. He's more active than anyone I know still, and he, he's executive producer of the Godfather movies. Right. He started as casting director. He did St. Vincent. He just, he has so many movies. Barfly, Black Stallion, I mean, crazy. So anyway, I had been introduced to him. He came to this read-through, and at the time, there was another set of characters. There was a lesbian couple also in the movie. Mm-hmm. So the read-through was like two hours long. And I didn't cast it myself. It was just Jack just brought some friends. We just had anyone sort of in there. And it was dreadfully boring. It was really <laughs> bad. And I was like devastated. And I remember like, you know, we had some wine for people. And I remember, and Arthur Sarkisian came too. And I remember like, I was afraid to turn around because I knew back there Fred was in the corner. And I'm like, Fred's going to be asleep or drunk. Like this was so boring. And you know what? It was amazing. He's an amazing man. I went to him, and he's like, okay, you're going to get this casting director. We're going to get you this cast, and you're going to do this, this, and this. And he gave me Beth Holmes, who is a wonderful casting director. 
and she was in there fighting with me to the end to get the best cast possible. And, you know, all of this came from Fred, really. So it was well, amazing. It's, it's a wonderful ensemble. And and as I mentioned to you when we were standing outside, there's not a weak link or a mm. false moment. Mm. And that credit goes to the director. Mm, thank you. Really. Now, this cast, some of whom, let's be frank, some of whom their phone ha hadn't rung for a few years, mm. Uh, much as it should ring and ring loudly and frequently, but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yet they had to, in dealing with this subject matter, deal with some rather sensitive issues, whether it's Alzheimer's, incontinence, mm -hmm. uh, uh, fantasies, mm -hmm. sexual problems. Mm -hmm. Was that difficult for any of them? Did you have to? Did you have to? smooth it over did you were they were they were you able to get them to face these issues which are painful in real life right and even more painful when you're displaying them sure on screen when you're vulnerable when like you're that, vulnerable. sure no i mean george's mother had passed away from alzheimer's um jack mcgee's brother had passed away from alzheimer's and like i said my dad did so we were very um they bonded right away yeah. like they had lunch they hung out a lot um, we had rehearsals together, and very v right away we were very um, on the same page about being accurate with with what it's like because people have this idea about Alzheimer's that you know you're you're okay and then you wake up one day and you're in La La Land. Yeah. But there's a window of time that is so painful where the person knows they have it. They get confused. You know, my dad used to sit up and like read the paper. It would be upside down, but he'd sit at the breakfast table for half an hour pretending that he was reading yeah, the paper still, yeah, yeah. you know. So those are the moments we were trying to capture, you know. And um, and Mariette has a very, she's written a book about it, so she has a crazy past where she had an abusive husband um, for many years, and so she connected to that character mm -hmm. like crazy. And I think it was hardest for Barbara because we were trying to cast um, Jack Betts's part, you know, Mickey who plays her husband, and we're having trouble. And he was written, I had a much more of a doormat. We had to sort of rejigger it and like give him that moment where he's like, I'm going to get him. Mm -hmm. Just to give that guy a scene because we were having trouble casting it because he was such a doormat, kind of a. So I was like, all right, we got to like do something. So that was the last part we cast. And so Barbara, as a result, we had, you know, to move up this crazy scene where she's sexually assaulted, and we had to do it on the second morning we were shooting. And that was like, oh, Yikes. my God. We yeah. didn't even know each other. <laughs> and, you know, no. and she's a strong woman with, with opinions in real life, too. Sure. So, But you know what? We broke through, and we got it done, and Micah Hauptman is a great he's just did a great job and you know and i want to say the people that i work with and and scheduled that are here i just want to say mike gill is first ad eugene are you here eugene davis um erica schmack the the upm anyway they did an amazing job like scheduling and and making it all happen so that it, it could work for the actors except for that one scene that was we had no choice did did the scripts stay the same through shooting or or were there variations that occurred because of the actor's input or did they no, pretty much I think much, it pretty much stayed the same I mean, there are times wrote. there are times when look George Hamilton is going to come up with something or Jack McGee. Oh, I yes, mean I, I am not going <laughs> to change it like he's hilarious yes, yes. so he I mean the, there's one 
thing that definitely changed, which I was like, oh, God, it was the ending. There was a running joke that I put in the script about that's amore, right? Yeah. Because that's my least favorite Dean Martin song. <laughs> I just can't stand it. So that's why I have a running joke in there. And then, of course, we're going to do the breakfast scene. And I wrote in Everybody Loves Somebody, uh -huh. you know, like a sweet... Uh -huh. George is like, no, I think it's really got to be that Samori. I'm like, come on, George. And he, and he wanted to do that living room bit, uh -huh. you know, where he holds up the check because that's a Dean Martin thing. Right. So I'm like, okay, all right, we'll just do one take like that. But, of course, that's what's in the movie because that was the way to go. Right. You know, it's very uplifting. How many days did you shoot? We shot for 17 days. That long? Yeah. <laughs> that long. Yeah, we did 16 days um, consecutive, and then we had one day at Hollywood Race Park. Uh -huh. Did I mean, you've done a great deal of episodic. Mm -hmm. Did your episodic experience, did it enable you to shoot that quickly, or, or would you have been able to shoot that quickly without the, I mean, did you, have you, have you carried the, your episodic experience onto the feature set? Sure. I mean, I think I have. I mean, I first of all, I started in New York in independent film. So yeah. I kind of started in a very fast, low-budget world. And so the first movie I made, I shot in 24 days. Um, there's almost, there's like 48 characters in it. It oh. was a lot and a lot of locations running around New York City. So that was kind of daunting, but we did it. And I think that was more training for television. Mm -hmm. meaning I could mm -hmm. transition into TV and just work fast. So I've always been able to know what television, doing more television has helped me do is just trust my instincts and have a certain confidence about it. And frankly, the speed is a gift because the speed keeps me out of my head. Absolutely. And it's like I can just go from my heart and it's like right. it's right there and you just make decisions and you just come to trust that that's all we have. That's yeah. all any director has Yes, is their instincts. So yes. they can think about it all you want. But it's really about that. But so. after you do enough episodic, you have the confidence that no matter what happens, I can handle it. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what episodic gave me. Yeah. I, I think episodic helped me in working with these actors who have had yeah. 50 and 60 year careers. Yes. And and even though their phones, they're maybe not doing as much work as that. They all like Marriott does theater all the time. Mm -hmm. They all stay in, in their artists and they keep doing what they do one oh. way or the other, God whether George him. is, you know, Kentucky fried chicken, Colonel making people laugh, he's going <laughs> to do whatever he can, you know, they, and he goes off too. He like did Lacage for like a year on yeah. the road. Like yeah. they stay working. So I have to make TV helped me to be able to, hold my own with people with that much experience, if that makes sense. Makes absolute sense. Yeah. So you wrote it, you directed it, you produced it. When you set out to do it, obviously you wanted to write it because you mm -hmm. wrote it. Mm -hmm. You wanted to direct it because basically, may I presume to say you're a director who writes yes. rather than a writer who directs? I'm a, I'm a director who writes, correct. Okay. Uh, but you also produced it. Mm -hmm. Was that your intention at the top? Um, that was not my intention at the top. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, first of all, the other thing I realized like last week or something was that from the first draft of the script, that was 14 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So there's many people I asked to help me in 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> many, many. Um, I don't know why that's such a difficult piece. For me, finding producer to work with, um, 
to to sort of I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. What, when did you make the decision to be the producer? Well, I guess when we finally had put the financing kind of together, and then Dennis said yes, yeah. it was like, all right, we're gonna go. Um, and I think I kind of hit a little bit of a bottom where I'm like, I can't. I I I need to do this now. Like it's something inside was like I can't put this off. I've got to like get this movie made. So that just became became very urgent. And I think, um, you know, in television, I, my third episode of television was an episode of Without a Trace, and Tim Busfield was the producer director, and he taught me really well, which is, he always taught me to be financially responsible, even though I was the director for hire. Yes. He was like, you got to think about your day. You got to make your day. You have to think about where on set you're going to shoot this scene, this scene. You got to be part of all of that all the time. And you want to make your days because those people sitting in the Warner Brothers accounting department, they care about that. <laughs> so if you want to keep working, you got you to be aware. Yeah, and so you. he sort of taught me to think that way in television, like a producer, which is not to my detriment, I don't think. But um, but I can't help but be in that mode even as a director. Yeah, I once had a producer say to me, and sh and she thought she was a wonderful producer, Renee Valente, who was great. But she once said of me, and she thought she was giving me the highest possible compliment. She said, "You're fiscally responsible." <laughs> Is that bad though? Do you no, think that's, that's bad? good. I think we have to be. Well, sometimes I wonder because there's a lot of people that you know they're like, I've never, you know, I shoot 17-hour days. I don't but, yeah, do 12 no, hours. We, so I'm I, like, oh well, those. It's maybe part of the those. job. Well, I thought I think so. It's but. part of what you when you sign that piece of paper. It's yeah. part of what you're committed to. Well, I think you can do really good work and be fiscally responsible as well. well I think you certainly have proved it. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> When you, when do you, uh, these other scripts you have sitting on your desk waiting to be born, mm. have you written them? Yes. Do, how do you, how do you, when you write, do you think as a director in the, the writing, do you think, do you see the movie or? Uh, I think as a director when I'm writing yeah. um, and I see the movie, I don't think as a producer when I'm writing. Like once I know it's going to happen, then I know I need to go in and start cutting and doing changing locations or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I don't do that when I'm writing. How about when you're editing? Um, you know, that's interesting cuz this editing this movie was different because I was I was I was working in between, so I would leave it for like a month, two months and go then sit with the editor that. So we did it and he was working too. So we had to do it in between, which I felt guilty like I was neglecting my child, but in a sense, I wasn't. What I learned was that I kept having a fresh set of eyes every time I mm -hmm. went back, and it was very productive. It was really productive to do that. So, no, I don't know. I don't think I... I think it, I'm very much in my mind like a storyteller, so I always have my eyes on the story. So I don't get, you, you know, necessarily married to something you know the rough cut process is very painful and you have to show people yes and then get comments about it yes but you know yes. you know when it's right yes. you know when the comments are right and yes. you know when they're not right but they can still hurt when they're not of course and never sh process. never show it without music 
even if it's oh, a 10 no. score. Oh, no. That's the worst thing to do. Well, I don't even, I mean, we don't get to, in, in television, we don't see editor's cuts without music. No, no, absolutely. I mean, they don't want to show us without music. <laughs> Is, was there stuff you shot that's not up there? I mean, I mean, I know there are shots, obviously, but storylines, significant scenes that were left on um, the floor. No, there was one other little scene with um, with Barbara and Jack Betts. Very little scene that I. There was two little beats. I would switch them around, switch them around, but we did change the order of things. Mm -hmm. That's what we did more than anything. But I think that was the only one little thing that got cut. But I can't think of anything else. When you look at the film now, is there anything you would like another go at? No, I don't look at my work that way. Okay. I just accept that's what it is. It's supposed to be that way, and, and I'm happy with it. How do you compare? You've been very successful in episodic. Mm -hmm. How do you compare the ownership experience? Uh -huh. <laughs> Have I, fit, have I hit a vulnerable spot? Yes. <laughs> Especially if I think about watching my cuts on television. Yes. It's it just it's like a gut punch. It's, sometimes it's really rough. Um, so, yeah, what was the question? You hit a chord. <laughs> <laughs> the ownership experience. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I was just talking, like, I had a meeting at FX today, so I was just talking about that. Because they use this word, which really kind of bothered me, and I'm just going to say it bothers me. Okay. I was talking to my husband about it. It's like, it's like, oh, it must be hard being a journeyman director. Oh, what? Now, a journeyman director. Now, I don't know what that means to you guys, but for me, that's like, I work at McDonald's or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how I sort of feel about yeah. it. It's like... No, we're all like five-star chefs, and we just step in as a guest. We're like the aunt who comes for Christmas, and we got to bring really good right. You know, we stay a little bit, and then we leave, and, yeah. and that's what we yeah. do. We don't just show up and be like, you know, hitting the grind and doing, like, I don't know. It's just something about that word. So I, I explained to him that I didn't see myself as a journeyman director, that I see myself as an artist, a filmmaker who goes in, and takes ownership of that episode. Of course, I'm collaborative, but I put my heart and soul into these things. I mean, who thinks that you don't do that? I don't even understand. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I anyway, that was just something I went through. So it's, I, I, I try at this point, and thank God I have been there for a while where I get to work with either people that I know or projects that I really want to. There's many projects I don't get to, and it breaks my heart because I watch them and I want to be a part of them. But for the most part, if I can just be where I connect to the material or I watch the show and I love what they're doing, then I get to be there. Then it's easy to put my heart into it. On The Good Wife, you've done a lot of. Correct. You're, does the, the, the possibility of being called a journeyman has to go away when you have really given so much to that show and been so much a part of the creation of that show? Yeah, I don't know. There's still a perception, I think, a lot of times in television that people have that it's a, a writer's medium and that it's not a director's medium. And I think it's both. I think it's a collaborative medium. I think part of the problem is that every writer gets to call himself a producer these days. Correct. I mean, that's that's another... That's another, we that's can, another oof, subject. We'll go off on that. But <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's collaborative. And I yeah. think we do play a part in... in creating you know look people forget we take a piece of paper with ink on it and we start making decisions about how to bring it to life 
you know, and then on top of it in television, you've got a writer that you're working with who they've got something in their head. And so you're trying, you've got your own stuff that comes in your head. And of course you want to collaborate, but that's the challenge is like, you've got this thing in your head. Okay. Tell me about it. So then I can, you know, understand it and make it organic to like, let's create something that neither one of us expected. That's even better. Exactly. When you did this movie, mm -hmm. did you cast your DP with someone who had worked with, with whom you had worked with previously? Did you pull together a, a first time for each of you crew from the DP to the ADs? Yeah, I don't know how. I think Nancy Schreiber is the um, is the DP, and I wanted to work with her because I felt like she would understand. First of all, she's a woman mm -hmm. DP, and you know she's very talented, and I felt like she would she she would understand the material very well, and so she she works. Look, she, you know, knows how to work down and dirty, too. So that was an asset. And she put together a lot of the crew. You know, she, so we just found people. And Enrico Natale was one of the producers and, and Erica. And so they helped us pull a lot of the crew together as well. And so I think it worked out really well. I'm not sure how Mike and Eugene really came into it from Enrico or, I don't know. But don't I was know either. so happy to have them. <laughs> They were like my rocks, man. They were so awesome. The cast. Obviously, this was not a high-budget movie. Mm -hmm. You got these experience. I mean, you, these are major players. These are yes. people who have... They, they, they don't need $100 a day. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. No, they don't. Did Was there ever a, a question of... Was there someone who turned you down because you were paying a hundred dollars a day? Were there actors you went after who, regardless of the material, would not work for that kind of money? Um, not that I know of. I mean, I guess I wouldn't know if they turned it down. We did go to other people, yeah. you know, to, uh, I was trying to get it a little more diverse, the older people, you know what I mean? And went to various people and Richard Roundtree, like diff different people that passed, yeah. but yeah. I don't know if they passed for the money right. or not. I have no idea. Right. Anything that you wanted to do with this film that you were not able to do? You get it in the, you know, multiplex, wide release. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that I want to do with this movie at this point. Tell me about, tell me about having made the movie. Mm -hmm. You worked for a good number of years to get this movie made. Mm -hmm. You put your heart, your soul, your pocketbook on the line mm -hmm. to get this movie made. What's the experience like once you've made your independent film, getting it out there? Mm. Well, it's, 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 you know, I did this once before um, with a movie, and, and, and it was a different experience because it was younger people in it. It was really hardcore and, you know, dark and gritty. And so, of course, it was at Sundance, you know. <laughs> of course. And, um, <laughs> And so, you know, and we were the Spirit Awards and we did all that and then, you know, it had its release and we split up all the rights and did all that stuff and, and it got me, you know, a career. Like, it got me into television. So that's awesome. This experience is different and I think um, this experience is really, what I'm getting out of this experience is A, that 
the movie business is very challenging right now. I mean, everything is in flux right now, right? So the movie, I felt like this was a commercial movie. Yes. I felt like the people who are going to theaters are older people. So I made a movie that they could watch and connect to. Um, but, you know, as you make anything that you create, something different that you don't expect comes from it. And so what has come from it for me personally is that, you know, he probably doesn't want me to say this, but but my husband was executive producer and, you know, did everything for this movie and, you know, pulled the financing to get, like, really did everything for this movie. And, you know, at this point, June will be 25 years that we're met. June is 25 years that we're married. That just hit me. Oh, my God, that's a long time. Um, but you, that, at that you point... Were, you were a child bride. Oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> um, no, but I think at this point, it's like, you know what? I'm getting out of this movie. What I just learned yesterday is saying goodbye to my parents yeah. and then learning that my partner, my husband of 25 years, is is right there with me in my dream, like a 1,001%. When I'm ready to give up, he's there. So you don't ex you don't know the gifts that you get from creating things. So true. So I just wanted to be able to move other people as well. Well, you have. Thank you. Congratulations for the tenacity. Thank you. For the image that you brought to the screen, for putting together a wonderful cast of people who deserve the attention you're bringing to them. Mm. They definitely do. I'd love to see them get some awards or something. Absolutely. I mean, they're amazing. I don't think anyone's seen George Hamilton no. act like this. No. Like, I didn't so think true. people knew they had it. So that he had and, it Bar in. and Barbara Bain. And Barbara. And Marriott. And Marriott. I mean, Marriott yeah. is amazing. Every one of them. I know. Every one of I them. I totally agree. A I, beautiful ensemble. Yeah, I want to get them out there. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Good movie. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you all you, for everyone. coming. Don't forget to vote. Nice. Yeah, nice. Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. You can watch more discussions like this on our website or our YouTube channel. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Director's Cut on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or our SoundCloud page so you won't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.